Have you been affected by divorce? Chances are you probably have. Whether you're a child of divorce or you've been divorced, perhaps you have family or friends who have been divorced and you've had to go through that process of trying to figure out, well, who are we going to spend time with? Are we going to side with someone or not? We've all been affected by it in one way or another. Some of us maybe have even considered it. Perhaps even during this pandemic, you have just got to your point where you've thought about it because your spouse just keeps leaving toenail clippings on the floor or those apple stickers on the kitchen sink, whatever it may be. I mean, divorce is a prevalent thought and topic of conversation, and it's probably because it's widespread. I mean, in Canada, a country of a population of about 37.5 million people over the last 20 years has had over 500,000 divorces. 500,000 divorces in 20 years, and that doesn't count uh, common law split-ups, separations, that's just actual legal divorce filings. I mean, if you look at BC statistics alone, they tell us that approximately 40% of divorces in BC end in divorce. Some surveys have been done over the last year through the pandemic to consider what the state of divorce is in our country. And in some places, the numbers of divorce inquiries have gone up 30 to 40%. One Toronto divorce lawyer came out to say that his expectation of the courts as the pandemic restrictions ease is that they could get possibly twice as busy. Some to do with backlogs in the court system, others just because couples will have come to this place after having been stuck together that they will have determined that they no longer want to be with their spouse. Today we're continuing on in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're coming to this passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, where Jesus speaks about divorce and remarriage. From there, we're going to use that as a bit of a, a launching off point to talk about the broad picture of what Scripture says about the issue of divorce and remarriage. And for those of us who are married or anticipating marriage, what we should think about the whole topic of marriage. It's one of the reasons I love the teachings of Jesus and God's word as a whole is that God speaks about things that are important. Marriage is important. Divorce, as I said, is, is prevalent and impacts us all. And, and Jesus doesn't sort of walk away from important issues, but he tackles them head on. And so we're going to get in there in a, just a moment to looking at the teaching of Jesus around this issue. But first I want us to step back and, and just consider, okay, what might our perspective of divorce and remarriage be? And, and then we'll kind of move forward closer to Jesus and look at what the teaching was in the first century when, when Jesus was around. And then we'll look at the teaching of Jesus and see how it's spoke to the culture of the first century and then how it speaks to us today and where we can go from there. So as I've been considering this topic of the sort of predominant views of divorce in our culture, I kind of determined that there's a bit of a, of a sliding scale, a spectrum that has sort of four main views on it. And those four main views might have been determined because of uh, just our experience from 
uh, being around people who have been divorced or personal situations, maybe just conversations we've had. But there's sort of four main views, and I want you to consider where you might be. The first view is what I call the anytime, any reason view. And this is just what it sounds like. People say, hey, divorce can happen anytime and for any reason, and remarriage can happen anytime and for any reason. And some people for this, uh, in this view will say, hey, divorce isn't that big of a deal, and so people should be able to go ahead, and remarriage isn't that big of a deal, so people should be go ahead. Uh, some people would say it is a big deal, but you know what? People are permitted to do what they want, when they want, how they want it. On the other end of the spectrum from the, for, for any time, any reason, is the no way, no how view. And these are folks who would say uh, divorce should never happen. Once you're married, you're married for life. There's no exception to that. It's a one and done. And because of their view, that would uh, proceed to remarriage. There's no divorce, so there should be no remarriage. Or they would say, if you've been divorced, there's no room for remarriage. And so we have these sort of two groups on either end. And then in between, we have sort of over here this perspective that's sometimes divorce and sometimes remarriage. These folks would say, hey, there's sometimes where divorce is permitted and sometimes where remarriage is permitted. Then moving on down, we'd have uh, some people who would say, yes, divorce is permitted sometime, but remarriage shouldn't take place. And so we have this sort of this sliding spectrum or scale of where people might land. And I know it doesn't take into consideration every view, but that gives us sort of a good picture for us to consider, okay, how do I view divorce? Now let's take that a little bit further and look at what was being taught in Jesus' day. And, and you'd see if you looked at the teaching from Jesus' day in first century Israel and looking at Jewish culture, you'd see that there were sort of two main views. And these views came from rabbinic tradition. And that rabbinic tradition, what that is, is it's just the teaching of uh, sort of the most prominent rabbis and what they had to say about the matter. And what these rabbis would do is they would take the Torah and the Old Testament scriptures that we have and they would apply what they thought was the right thing out of there. And you sort of, on this topic, had two sort of main views. And you had the main view from a rabbi named Hillel and the main view of the rabbi named Shammai. Now, Rabbi Shammai, he went and he taught from Deuteronomy chapter 24 this teaching that said that uh, divorce was permitted in the case of adultery. And he sort of left it there. But then we had who was probably the more popular teacher, Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel went and took the same passage, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and pushed it a little bit farther. He said that you as a man were permitted to divorce your wife for virtually any reason. In fact, he went so far as to say that if there was such an indecency as burning your husband's, din or your husband's dinner, that a wife could be left. She could just be sort of kicked to the curb. And, and unfortunately, because of some of the views at the time, that became the predominant view where men sort of just treated women as their, this ability to kind of just leave them out to the side, kick them out when you were done or thought that they weren't right for you. And so there was this teaching that was occurring. And what happens is when Jesus steps in is Jesus comes to teach about his kingdom. Jesus came to earth to live his life to allow people to come into his kingdom by not just living his life but dying on the cross and rising again. 
And all along the way, uh, before his death and after his resurrection, Jesus came to teach about God's kingdom. What does God care about? How does God work? What does God want to see from his people? And of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses this. And the Sermon on the Mount really serves for us as, as a masterpiece lecture or lesson about how we should understand God's view on certain things and how we consider how we live in his kingdom. And so in the midst of that, he addresses this teaching that's taking place. And he actually says, what you think is right isn't what is actually right in God's kingdom. And so let's read what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. There he says, it has been said, and he references back to that Deuteronomy 24 passage. He says, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So right out the gate, Jesus comes and he confronts this teaching that's saying, hey, you can uh, divorce your wife for whatever reason and remarry whoever you want. And Jesus says, no, that is not the case. And what Jesus is doing here in context is he's trying to elevate the view of what God believes for marriage. God has set a standard for marriage that we can see as we go out through God's word. The first place we see God dealing with relationship between man and woman is in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where he creates Adam and Eve and he sets them up to be in a relationship together, one that is there for commitment for the lifelong. We know that that's God's view, is God's view, and it's clarified, because you might look at Genesis 1 and 2 and be like, well, I don't see it say that exactly. But we see that in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus clarifies this very thing. In Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6, Jesus says this, At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. And again, he's referencing back to Genesis 1 and 2. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus brought this teaching from the very beginning of how God set up relationships. Man and woman should come together and be in relationship with one another and with God, and that is a lifelong commitment. Elsewhere, if you were to go to Malachi chapter 2, we would see that God says, I hate divorce, for when a man divorces his wife, he commits violence on the one he was supposed to protect. God values marriage, and he sees it as this lifelong commitment. And as we come here to Matthew chapter 5, we can pick up these undertones that Jesus is laying the groundwork for. Now I want to stop for a moment uh, for, to consider what this means for those of us who might be considering marriage one day. Maybe you're single right now and you're hoping to be married. Maybe you're dating or engaged and considering a certain partner. Is this the person that I want to be with for the rest of my life? That's the standard Jesus is setting. He's not saying, hey, uh, get married to this person, consider it, and if it doesn't work out, hey, go off and, you know, get a divorce, get remarried, start again. No, Jesus is saying, hey, my view, the, the view of God is this. The one who knows everything is that there's this high bar marriage is supposed to be for life. It's two people leaving their families, becoming 
one together. And once that's together, let no one separate that. And so as we're considering the potential of someone who we're interested in, someone we're dating, someone we're engaged to, of whether or not we should be married, we should take this very seriously. Is this someone who I will be committed to for the rest of my life? Now, when I counsel couples about considering this fact, I often say, hey, consider four questions just to get yourself started. And the four questions are simple. Do they know and love Jesus? Do they love and respect their family? Do they love and respect you? And do they have a job and can they keep it? Now on the surface, you might be able to be like, check, 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 check. Or maybe you sit there and hum and haw. Well, this is really important for us to consider. And each of those questions has an important aspect to how we should consider moving on in relationship. The first thing, do they know and love Jesus? Well, What's important about that isn't just that they have the same preferences as us, but Jesus tells us in his kingdom, when we come to to him, when we repent and turn our life over to Jesus, we join our life with him and God comes and lives within us. So when our partner doesn't know and love Jesus, they can't truly know and love us. And so this is sort of the make or break one. This is the big one that this is, you know, they don't know and love Jesus. This is not the marriage for you to get into because they can't possibly know the most deep and intimate and important parts of your life. The second thing, do they know and respect their family? Do they, and third, do they know and respect you? The reality is when people are dating and engaged, this is the best it's going to get in some ways. This is the person on their best behavior. You're not going to see the ugly side of them because they can go on a date, they can hang out for a day or a weekend and, and be on their best behavior and then go home and sort of take off the mask. Let me tell you, when you've been married a while, maybe it'll come out one month in, maybe it'll come out down the road, but then the ugly side rears its head. I mean, we are all broken and sinful people, and that means that these things are going to come out. Well, if that person already can't display that they respect and love their family and that they respect and love you, things aren't going to get better. So many people have got married thinking that this is going to change, and it ends Uh, leading towards a terrible place and it can lead towards divorce and hurt and harm and you don't want to go there if it's already not up front if they can't respect and love their family and love you it's a done deal the job question do they have a job can they keep it this is all about can they provide for themselves can they provide for someone else can they show that they can grow and learn and mature These are four important questions that I'd urge you to consider because you're not just picking someone who you're going to have some nice dates with. You're committing to someone for looking at a relationship for life. So we've got this golden standard that Jesus sets. This is what I want for marriage. But the question might be then, well, if these rabbis were teaching from this Old Testament passage, something that we believe is in God's word, well, how does that how does that respond to what Jesus is saying? What's Jesus talking about when he's quoting it here in uh, verse 31? 
Well, let's go and look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. There we read this. It says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if, after she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies... Then the first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Now that's a, a huge verse and has a whole bunch of layers to it that we could un unpack. But that first part in verse 1 and 2 is really where the rabbis were starting to do teaching and where Jesus launches from. This idea that if anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. What's really important to help us understand where Jesus goes from there and where so these rabbis sort of missed out is in a couple key words. There's a key word that repeats itself three times in that passage, particularly in verses 1 and 2, and that key word is if. What happened is God came and looked upon his people and saw that what was happening is men were getting married with women and then men were going, hey, I don't like this woman, I'm going to kick her out. And unfortunately at the time what happened is there was this relationship where the men was in control and they had all the power and so they were mistreating women. And so what God does is he comes in and he says, no, there needs to be a process for the protection of the women who I have created and who I love. And so God institutes this way of preventing women from, or for, for protecting women and for preventing more chaos from happening. You know, in these days, if a woman was thrown out because her husband was displeased with her, uh, what would happen is she would end up on the street and the whole community would keep her at arm's length. They'd say, hey, you've done something wrong, and so you're shunned, and that uh, affects her livelihood, that affects her level of self-respect and respect of others in the community. But this process of bringing a certificate in allows her to say, hey, this is what happened, and so she could have rights and honor, she could have the ability to enter into a new relationship where someone could care for her and uh, protect her, and, and that was very important to God. And so he wanted to stop this chaos from happening. God didn't come in. If you look at that passage, he didn't say, hey, this is what I want for you. When you're done in a relationship, have a certificate, move on, and continue on. God said, no, this is sinful and broken, but what I'm going to do is institute something for the protection of my people. And that is really important. God cares about the people, but he still has his standard. So with all that in mind, the question I think most of us would be asking then is, well then, is there an appropriate place? Is there a biblical statement for uh, whether or not divorce is allowed or when it's allowed? And is remarriage allowed or is, it, uh, is there biblical grounds around it? And so as I've looked through these scriptures, and again, uh, scripture talks about marriage all over the places. What I have come to find is there is only two places where God gives exception to a standard. Again, there's the standard there. Lifelong commitment between a man and a woman, pursuing him together, living together as one. But there's two places where he gives exception where there may be room for divorce to be morally acceptable. The first is here in Matthew 5, 32. He says, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim 
of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here, Jesus says the only exception where this is, is not morally unacceptable is if sexual immorality takes place. Here there's the Greek word porneia, which refers to any type of sexual activity that takes place outside of the confines of a relationship between a husband and wife together. He says the only time that this might be permissible and not be considered sin is when one of the individuals has committed the breaking of the marriage relationship already. When they have committed sexual immorality. That is permission. Now, again, this is important. This is an exception. This isn't a promotion. Jesus doesn't say, hey, when this happens, go and separate from your spouse. There's still this picture of what God wants us to work through. Again, if we look at the whole of what Scripture has to say about marriage, we see that marriage is actually given by God to give us this picture of God's relationship with his people. God loves and cares for and forgives and extends mercy and grace. God serves his people. He sacrificed for his people. And he wants us to live to that standard. Now, of course, we're not God, and, and we will fail, and so there is some exception here, but God's not promoting that. That is not a reflection of his love for his people, which is what he wants marriage to be. The second place there we see anything about this sort of thing is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth is this messed up church, and they're getting everything wrong. They love Jesus, they're trying to follow him, but they're getting all sorts of weird stuff going on with relationships and marriages and sexuality. And so Jesus, or Paul comes and brings a message and clarifies Jesus' teaching and brings a word from God to, to clarify things. And there, if you were to look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, and you look at verses 10 to 15, you see this teaching that he has about when there is another exception. The only thing we see in there is this exception where he says if there's a, an unbeliever and a believer. There's someone who follows Jesus and there's someone who doesn't follow Jesus and they're married. He says if they're willing to stay together, you stay together. However, if the unbeliever decides that he wants to leave his believing spouse, the spouse is to allow their partner to go and they're supposed to live at peace with one another. And so here we see in Scripture there's sort of two exceptions to the rule. And again, these are exceptions, not something that's being promoted. It's that when the occurrence of sexual immorality happens or if an unbeliever chooses to leave a believer. Now I want to take a moment and just step back from that. Okay, so we have this sort of standard that God set. We have some clarity on the, the teaching around divorce and remarriage. But what does that mean for us? We, we don't exist in a vacuum. This impacts us. We know people who have been divorced. Some of us have been divorced. Others have been remarried. And so what do we do in light of this? Well, if you're an individual who's uh, been in a divorce, if you're the person who's perpetrated the divorce. I'm not saying who filed the paperwork. I'm saying if you're the person who uh, broke the marriage covenant, the commitment to love and be with this person forever, whether that's through sexual sin, whether that's through abuse, whether that's through neglect or abandonment, if that's you, you have broken the marriage covenant you've made before the eyes of God. You have wrecked this marriage. And so you need to go before God and seek his forgiveness. 
You need to allow him to work in your heart to bring about more of his beliefs, of his teaching, more of his kingdom to your life, and you need to go there. The incredible thing about Jesus and this teaching and everything is that he went to the cross. He died for the forgiveness of your sins, and he wants to meet with you there and help you to grow and to become more like him. But nevertheless, you need to seek repentance, and you need to go to him. But then out of that, as he works within your life, as he begins to change you from the inside out, you also need to go and seek reconciliation and peace with the one you have hurt. Now, I'm not saying marital reconciliation is going to happen, that you're going to get back together necessarily. Maybe that ship has sailed long ago, and the hurt's too deep for that person to come back with you. That's not the expectation. The expectation from God is that you go to, to seek forgiveness, that you go to make amends, that you go to be at peace with that person to the best of your ability. Paul will talk about that elsewhere as well in his teaching. And so that's your responsibility. Now, for those who have been divorced and, and you are the person who has been hurt, you've been hurt by this other person, they've broken the marital commitment, I want you to know that God loves you and that God wants you to come to him. Jesus says, come to me, who all who are, are heavy laden, who are burdened, who are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. God wants you to go to him and seek healing and he wants you to come to a place where you recognize your identity was never in that marriage, but in him. For you, I would encourage you to consider meeting with other people who have gone through divorce, who know and love Jesus, and come out healthy on the other side, and have them walk through things for, with you. An incredible program that runs at a number of churches in our community and neighboring communities is a program called Divorce Care. I know people who have been through it, and they highly recommend it. It's an opportunity to have a faith-based faith look at how we can understand the divorce we're processing. This is something that you might want to seek. Now, for those of us, though, who are married, and whether you've considered divorce, whether you haven't considered divorce, but just need to think about your marriage, and I think we all need to think about our marriage because all of our marriages need work and we can grow in them. But what I want you to do is be reminded as you hear this, this is God's standard. God's standard is for us to be together for a lifelong commitment, but his standard is also for our marriage to represent his relationship with his people. And so our obligation in marriage is to, to strive for, for health and for growth. Our obligation towards that person we're married to is that we would seek to help them grow, that we would love them and extend grace to them and, and serve them and sacrifice that for them for their growth, for their flourishing, so they would grow closer to God. If you're in a place where your marriage isn't in a good spot, I would encourage you not to be the individuals who sit back and, you know, I'm not going to do anything until my spouse comes and apologizes to me. No, that wasn't the example of Jesus. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was there to cover our sin before we ever turned to him and recognized our need. That is the way we should go. So we should go to our spouse. We should be the first to forgive. We should be the first to ask for forgiveness. We should be the first one to serve and love our spouse. 
Even if your, your marriage is in a great place right now, which I hope it is, I would encourage you to continue doing what you can do to grow it. Continue to pour into and invest in this most important relationship. And then as you do that, continue to see how you can help one another grow. There's all sorts of ways you can do it. One of the ways you can do it is by joining uh, the church tonight, those who are going to be committed to the marriage course. It's not too late. Sign up. Contact the church this afternoon. You can join us to, to watch a series of videos that explore uh, with a couple who's gone through a lot what it means to grow in your marriage. Talk about uh, topics like communication and conflict and raising kids and having good intimacy and sex. Have those conversations. You're not going to do it publicly with everyone, but you're going to hear the video and then talk privately with your spouse. Invest in that relationship. Another thing you can do is, is connect with us here at the church. We, I know for me, I love doing premarital counseling and marital facilitation where we work through some tools to, to help couples have conversation and grow together. Put the time in to invest into this relationship. I promise you won't regret it and it will be making your marriage so much better and it will help your spouse to grow and help you to grow in your love of God and each other. One other reminder I want to give for those couples, whether you're considering marriage or whether you're in a marriage, is to not make your partner Jesus in your mind. Sometimes I want to throw up when I hear people talking about soulmates and, and how their partner completes them. And it's not that I, I don't appreciate the love and the, the, the hope there, but what's wrong with that is your partner can never be Jesus. Your soul belongs to Jesus, not to your partner. The one who can complete you is God alone, not your partner. When you set your partner up on that pedestal, there is no way that they can succeed. We're all broken and sinful people. We'll screw up. We'll let each other down. We'll have bad days. We'll rear our ugly side here and there. You know, th these things are going to happen. And if you set up this false expectation, this unachievable platform expectation that they have to stand on, your marriage won't be as successful as if you set Jesus as the one who can complete you, as Jesus as the standard, and your relationship is instead viewed as two people who are committed to helping each other grow and nurturing a relationship of love. So as we think of all that, I know there's a lot there for, for us to process, but I just want to end on, on five quick pastoral notes. My, my hope for us is that we can all hear this no matter where we are and that we can grow and experience something out of this. The first note is I recognize that I haven't been able to deal with everything. When we talk about these issues, I know we can't address every intricacy of relationships that are, are not doing well. I know that there's those who are in relationships of neglect and abuse and abandon. If that's you, I, I don't want you to hear that your story doesn't matter. Your story matters very much. God cares about your story. We care about your story. We want to walk alongside you through this. I want to provide uh, individual counsel to the best of my ability. I know Pastor Dennis does as well. Our elders do as well. We'd love to talk to you and walk through things with you. 
If you're in a dangerous situation, we are here to help you get out of that. As much as we we long for the flourishing of marriages, we also want to help protect people and guard people. And as to the best of our abilities, we want to care for you if you need help. So please reach out to us. The second note I want to make is for those who have gone through divorce, who, who have been hurt by divorce, I want you to know God loves you. God cares for you. God wants to be with you again. God is always there. He always is caring. He cares for you deeply and he does not want you to walk around with shame and condemnation, but instead he wants you to receive hope and freedom in him and he wants to carry you through your hurt. So I would encourage you, turn to Jesus. Look to him to be the one who can address that need. For those of you who have Uh, gone through divorce but not on biblical grounds again jesus is wonderful in that he doesn't just teach hey this is right and wrong he came to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and he invites you to come before him to receive forgiveness and healing for that i've provided other counsel uh earlier there that talks about some of this stuff but maybe one of the things you need to reconsider is is can if neither of you have been remarried can we get back together or can we find healing what can you do we're not saying get back into an unhealthy situation but is there a way you can grow and find health and get to a new place but in all those things remember to turn to jesus for those who have been remarried not on biblical grounds again i I, turn to jesus look to him for forgiveness one of the things that jesus doesn't say when he addresses this is that your new marriage isn't a marriage no jesus affirms it as a marriage but he says hey it's had the wrong place to start off in this verse when jesus talks about the act of adultery he's not talking about this permanent place of sin but that there was a problem at the beginning and he calls on you to enter his presence for forgiveness he's not saying hey end another divorce to go back no he's saying continue to move towards what i desire for you what are the principles of my kingdom and finally for our church as a whole let us remember that as a church we will receive all we will receive all people married divorced considering divorce remarried or not we will consider all people and and receive all people with truth and grace we will always stand for the biblical truths which are brought about in god's word and we will teach those things that marriage is between a man and a woman together for life for the purpose of glorifying and connecting with god and that that is what god's standard is but what we will also do as we teach that truth is we will receive people with grace and love We're not here to bring condemnation or unrighteous judgment. We're here to be other people who have fallen far short of God's standard, who walk alongside other people who are sinners, who are broken, and together we follow in the way of Jesus. Our goal in this is not to raise one person over another, to look down on each other, but together as a community, together as a church, to bring about more more of God's kingdom in our hearts and in our world as it is in heaven so with that all in mind can we just take an opportunity to pray to to go before god from whatever perspective you're coming from in this situation and let's invite god's work to take place heavenly father lord god i just pray for all those who might be considering 
marriage one day, looking for a future spouse, or maybe they're, they're engaged in considering their marriage. Lord God, I pray for all those people who, if they have found someone that they need to make a determination about, Lord God, would you make it abundantly clear whether this person has uh, an ability to, to, to line up with what you desire for their relationship. For those who, who need to get out of a relationship, Lord God, would you give them the strength and the courage to, to get out right now before they are married? And Lord God, would they not carry the shame and the burden of that, but would they know they're following you? God, for those who are committed and, and looking forward to celebrating a marriage, Lord God, would they be able to celebrate that? But would they, they not just stop there, but would they continue to see this relationship grow? And Lord God, would they put you first and foremost in their life? God, I pray that as well for, for those who are part of our church family who are married. God, would we never stop trying to be more like you? Would we never stop giving and supporting our spouse and trying to model your relationship with us in our own marriage? And would we always put our spouse first so that we can learn to love really as you love? God, for those who are considering divorce, God, I pray that they would hear your standard for marriage and that they would work towards reconciliation and peace so that they can grow in their marriage together instead of seeing it end. God, for those who have been divorced, God, I pray that those who need your forgiveness would find it. For those who have been hurt would find your healing. For those who have been remarried, I pray that they would hear this from a place where they receive more of your kingdom today and work towards what is coming in the future, no matter how their marriage started. God, for us as a church, would we be a people who would set your rules and your truth and your grace first, and whatever our opinions are second, God, would we chase after the truth? Would we seek to see your kingdom expanded in our lives and in our community? And would we do so with such a grace and a love that it would be attractive for other people to come and know who you are? And Lord God, in all of this, would you receive all the glory, honor, and praise? So Jesus, we thank you for your love and sacrifice that makes this all possible. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the wisdom and truth you give us and that you guide us through. And God, we thank you for your love and forgiveness. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.